Our subject matter this month has been terribly wonderful, horribly, incredibly enlightening, and I have hated to love every minute of it because the Holy Spirit has just been really dealing with my heart. Um, as Pastor Peter said last week, I, I was also raised in a pastor's home and tithing and giving to God was something that was the air that we breathed. It was not just our culture. It was a decision that we made. So that's never been a problem. But as we're talking about treasure, it's so much more than just 10%. It's so much more than, than giving God an offering. It's recognizing that God owns everything. Um, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the people that dwell therein. So he owns it all. And he has given us each an opportunity to steward wealth, to steward our bodies, to steward our relationships. And I'm so thankful for that. But it's, it's this, this series, the last two weeks, has made me realize the areas that I, between God and I, that I need to, I don't want to say do better because that sounds like, but you know what I mean. Does anybody know what I'm talking about <laughs> after the last two weeks? Okay. But I, as a disciple, I realized that Jesus, 38 parables Jesus spoke. He told stories to illustrate truths. And 16 of those were about possessions or money. And so as not just a Christian, but as someone that is what we call a disciple, someone that's trying actively to follow what Jesus said is true, to, to walk in the, the way that Jesus said is life. I have to wrestle with this truth about money and possessions. And so it's an honor and it's a, a struggle to put this in its proper place. Um, uh, Pastor Mark and I, for I'd say like the last three decades, for about 30 years have been doing counseling of, of every shape and form, you know, marriage counseling and divorce counseling and counseling for, for people that have um, been convicted and people that are in, enslaved to drug use and people that have murdered and just you, you name it, there's probably nothing you can say that we haven't been involved in finding a path forward for those people. But I have to I have to be honest and say that in, in these past 30 years, I cannot recall someone coming and confessing the sin of greed, of repenting and saying, you know what? I feel like my heart is just full of greed and I want more and more and, and nothing is ever enough for me. And I cannot recall anyone coming in and saying, would you pray with me? I feel like things have, have, have taken over my life and all I want is more. And I have to say, all the encounters that this church has given that I have been to, I don't recall confessing that myself. So this is something that I have needed. And um, so let's just see what the Lord has to say this morning. The first two points are uh, piggybacking on what our pastors have said the last two weeks. So let's begin with money and possessions are effective tools that God uses. 
this was a sermon two weeks ago, and if you've missed any of them, please go online. They're excellent. And I think that money is an effective tool, but I also think it's a diagnostic tool. If you go to the doctor and you, you, you go in for your physical or whatever, he has tools and machines there that are diagnostic that can tell you what's wrong with you or what's right with you. And money is one of those things that God uses to tell us when our heart is hardening for the things that he cares about. When we want to clutch and hold to ourselves the thing that he has freely given us and not be a channel of blessing in our life. So I'd like to look at two different scriptures. The first one is from John, our favorite Baptist, and it's in Luke. It says, when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you beloved people, you brood of snakes. This guy was not trying to make friends. He was not interested in anything except announcing that the kingdom of God was coming. And I think I would be terrified to meet this man. So, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, we're descendants of Abraham. This is, he's talking to Jewish people, of course. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. The crowds asked, well, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? Collect no more taxes than the government requires. Can we hear an amen? That we don't want to pay anything more than the government requires. Amen? What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations. And be, what? With your pay. What an odd thing to slip in there. And my question, the, the, the question that formed in my mind was, these men are coming to John saying, what do I have to do so that I can live with God when I die? What do I need to do to have eternal life? Why is he talking about possessions? Why is he talking about money? Why is he telling them to be content? Why is he saying, give a shirt if you've got extra? Why isn't he answering their question? There's a relationship between what we possess and what we prioritize, amen? And that's what has been so difficult wrestling these last few weeks for me. Let's go on to the next example. This is Jesus, the big guy. He entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very what? It's interesting, you know why he'd become very rich, don't you? From what they said before, collecting taxes that were not really owed. He was the chief tax collector and uh, had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Why is that funny? <laughs> Some people over there laughing hysterically like, okay, bless him. All right. <laughs> So he ran on ahead. He was not to be dissuaded and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. 
for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. How many of y'all went to children's churches as a child and you remember that song? Anybody remember that song? Anybody want to sing it? There was someone that actually did in the first service. <laughs> okay, it was really cute. Okay. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. I, what? Must be a guest in your home today. I find that fascinating. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and great joy. So Jesus has gone home with Zacchaeus. They're spending probably the afternoon talking, sharing. Jesus has explained to him about the kingdom of God. But meanwhile, the people were displeased. He has gone to the home to be with the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. If I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. That's amazing. Remember, he was a wealthy man. He said, I'm going to give back four times more than I have extorted, than I have taken from people. Jesus' response was, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. The son of man, speaking of himself, came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, it's all about the money. It's all about the Benjamins. That's why I'm here. That's why I came to see him. But, you know, he didn't just spend time with the poor. He didn't just spend time with the sick. People that, that manage wealth, that have wealth, they need a savior too. And Jesus said, I must go home with you. Your eternity is at stake. I need to explain some things to you about the place that wealth has in your life and what you've done to acquire wealth and what you're doing to the people that you acquired wealth from. And Zacchaeus was so touched, so cut, so open to what Jesus said, so willing to be part of the kingdom that God was talking, that Jesus was talking about. He said, you know what? I'm gonna repay back what I've taken and I'm gonna give half of what I have to the poor. And Jesus knew because of his response that he got it, that he understood that money, the acquisition of money and the use of money was no longer his master. That's why the other verse said, prove it by the way that you live. We read this verse before in the last few weeks. No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The verse does not say you cannot serve God and have money. Amen? It doesn't say that. It says that nowhere in scripture because the people that don't have money need the people that do have money to fund what God wants to get funded. But it's interesting what he also doesn't say here. He also doesn't say 
you know, you really shouldn't try to serve two masters. It really is not a good idea. He's not counseling us when he tells us this. Say, you know, decide, but you really shouldn't. It's not really a good idea to try to go back and forth between being enslaved to money or being allegiant to God. He's saying, no, it is impossible. You cannot do it. It's not even a question. It's impossible to do. And I love that. I love how Jesus cuts right to the heart of what we try to tell ourselves and what we try to do. You might go, well, how do I know if I'm enslaved? I don't have a whole lot of money, but how do I know? These are two good reminders of what we do with our time. Now, do we all understand that we're supposed to take care of our families, that we're supposed to work and take care of our families? Do we understand that? Yes or no? Okay. Do we all understand that our children cost money? Things that we need cost money. Things that we want cost money. Do we all understand that? But there is an excess in the kingdom. God's word is about abundance. And we're gonna get to that verse later. But these are two incredible, important things that can check your mind, can check your heart about where we really are, not where we think or where we're like, I guess maybe... These are two good places to start. Being generous with what God has given you will keep money as a tool, not as a master. All right. Money and possessions are effective tests that God uses. Pastor Peter spoke uh, wonderfully last week about the tithe and the importance of the tithe. And it's important to us to tithe. Not that it's that important to God, but it's important to us because it sees where our heart is and tithing and giving offerings and being generous are not things that we do so that we can be closer to God. We're not buying or earning our way to God, but tithing, offerings, and having a heart of generosity are things that we do because we are close to the heart of God because we know that that's what's on God's heart to be generous, that God is a generous God. Whosoever, he gave his son for all of us. He is a generous God. He provides for our needs and he wants his children to look like him, to be generous, to be a channel of blessing for other people. There was a book that came out um, some several decades ago. It's called The Day America Told the Truth. And it was a fascinating book. I, I don't think they've updated it, but they, at the time, it was the biggest survey of people in America that had ever been done. And the question posed, one of the main questions in that book was, what are you willing to do for $10 million? Now, this book was written, like I said, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So you can imagine the answers would be much higher because you can see some of the things that people are willing to do for just a few likes, a few hundred thousand likes, the, the craziness that people are willing to do. But here's what they said. Out of, let's say, 100,000 people were sampled. This was anonymous. So there was privacy. Nobody knew what you were answering. They wanted to get an honest reading. 25 of them said they would abandon, 25%, excuse me, said they would abandon their entire family. 
$10 million, they would give up seeing their children again, seeing their wife, no comments, people, that <laughs> I didn't take 10 million. Your parents abandoned their family, 25%. 25% said they would abandon their church. Now, we know that would be a whole lot higher today. People abandon their church because they think it's, you know, got to drive too far. They think it's, they don't, they're preaching on money again or whatever. It doesn't take much for people to abandon their church today. Except for our people, of course, and our viewers, of course. 23% said they would become a prostitute for $10 million. It means nothing to steward our bodies. God has given us incredible bodies, incredible minds, incredible gift of sexuality. But 23% said, you know what, for $10 million, I'd sleep with whoever. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. 16% said they would leave their spouse. 10% would withhold testimony that would let a murderer go free. Now, I'd kind of like to know where these people are living, so I'm not their neighbor. Because the last one is 7% said they would kill a stranger for $10 million. Money gets a hold of us. And God is saying, I can tell you how, how, how your heart is toward me by the way you spend your money, by what you spend your money on. Does it have a hold of you or are you using it as a resource for the things that are pleasing to me? So the question I'm gonna ask you right now is what would you do? I'm gonna up it a little bit because 10 million doesn't seem like a whole lot nowadays. What would you do for $1 billion? If someone said, Caleb, when you go home, there'll be a million dollars in your bank account, but you have to do, kill a stranger. You have to, another Caleb's raising his hand. All the youth are going, I don't even think about it. <laughs> Man, it's very revealing. So how do we guard our heart? I'm sorry, okay, okay, we all agree. Greed is bad, we all agree. Here's how we guard. Keep your life free from the what? The love of money. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. Money is a good thing. We need it, we love it, we, we don't love it. We use it. Take this microphone away from me. This will probably be the last time I'll be preaching, so it was so wonderful of you all to come today. <laughs> it's a tool, we use it. We're gonna build our new building with what? That's right, and not our good looks, although most of y'all are really good looking, it's gonna take money. The bank wants to see money, and we want, God will fund what we're doing because we're doing his will. contentment and be content with what you have. That is tough. That is tough. Remember that, that John told the sailor, the sailor, good grief, people, told the soldier, the baker, and the, the candlestick maker, <laughs> have mercy. He said, be content with your pay. 
I don't think soldiers made a whole lot. I know policemen don't. I know our military men don't. Be content. Does that mean you don't ever ask for a raise? Does that mean you don't try to work harder and make more money? Does that mean you don't get the best job you can get? No, of course not. But it means until you get that raise, until you get that new job, until you get, be content with what you have. It's the grasping and the needing more that erodes our heart. Keep your life free. And we do that by contentment, by being grateful, by being thankful. If I were to say, if you were to say, uh, Dr. C, what's one thing you would tell families? If you, what's one thing you would tell mothers and dads about raising children? This would be on the top five. Teach your children to be content to be grateful, to be thankful. And that starts by hearing mom and dad, grandma and grandpa saying, God, thank you. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this new home. Thank you for this car. Thank you that I have money to, to, to give to this person. Thank you that I have money to help this person buy food. Oh, Lord, thank you. Your children need to hear a pattern. They need to breathe the air in their home of gratitude and contentment and appreciation. Instead of, well, what's the next thing? You know, at Christmas time, one of the things that we always cringe as parents is your kids open presents and they kind of throw that one aside. Okay, they want the next one. They kind of throw that, and we're like, well, say thank you to the person who gave it to you. Say thank you to Auntie, you know, Melissa. Say thank you, because we're trying to teach them to be thankful. Not to just, what's next? What's the next present? What's the next? But it starts with you, mom and dad. Contentment, gratitude is the antidote to the venom of greed. It's the corrosive. Thessalonians, it says, be grateful, be thankful in every situation you find yourself in. That's how important thankfulness is. That's how important being content is. He says, Paul says, I don't care what situation you're finding yourself in. I don't care where you are or what you're doing. You should be giving thanks to God. Thankfulness to God. Amen. So question when was the last time your children or your grandchildren heard you say, God, thank you, Lord, for this day. God, thank you for my home. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my job. Thank you. They need to hear mom and dad say it. They need to see mom and dad live it. A culture of contentment and gratitude. Amen. It's hard. It's, it's, it's hard because our heart needs to be tuned back to God. It's hard because we think if we don't have what the neighbor has, that God hasn't been good to us. But that's not true. Remember the parable of the talents. One got 10, one got five, one got one. Think, well, that's not fair. But what are you doing with what you have? Now, this brings me to this. This was the one of the, I'll say one of the things, there's others. But one of the things is I noticed that I have an inordinate love of shoes. Now, I say inordinate because, I mean, I can only wear one pair at a time, right? And I, you know, there's only, well, how many weeks are there in a year? I'm 52 or something. So there's only so many shoes I can wear. And yet, 
I always want more. Every season they come out with new shoes. Every season they come out, they look an awful lot like the last seasons, but they're not. So, and I just feel like it's just, I remember a couple years ago, I told my team of 12, I'm gonna go the whole year and I'm not gonna buy anything for myself. It's amazing how much I stretched that. Well, this isn't really for me. I'm buying it for you, but I'm gonna use it. It was a rough year. That was a, that was a rough year. But I didn't really miss anything I didn't buy, but I talked about it all the time. So I think I kind of negated my, my treasure going on ahead to heaven because I complained so much. But so I, I said, okay, if anybody wears size um, six and a half or seven, you can come up and have the shoes. And there was a young mom in the first service. She goes, that's exactly my size. I'll take all three of them. I said, well, I need to keep it for the next service. I only brought three pairs, which... I could have brought three, Lord help me. I could have brought three more for each service. And the other thing, I'm, what time is it? The other thing is, now I have to not let myself go. Well, since I've given away so many, now I need to go get some more to replenish my, yeah, no, I won't do that. So, yeah, it's, you think this is a silly thing. It's a silly thing until I see the credit card statement. I'm like, oh my goodness, what? Gratitude will strengthen you to pass the test of greed. For me, it was shoes and a couple other things which I won't go into. I could have had a big thing of chocolate up here, a pound of sugar or something. Miss Judy, we're praying, we're fighting the good fight, but it's still greed. No matter how funny I make it sound, it's still not funny to God. Money and possessions is our last point are effective testimonies that God uses. Think, well, I'd like to have a good testimony of how I made a million dollars or how I, I'd like for you to have that too. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, the church went through a, not our church, the church in America, kind of went through a, a swing, a shift about 50 years ago when we've, we've done pendulum swings from Poverty is godly. I don't think a lot of y'all weren't alive then when it was godly to be in poverty. Does anybody remember that? Then you've got great examples like Mother Teresa and you think, well, maybe everybody should be like that, but somebody's got to have the funding to buy the supplies, to buy the inoculations, to buy the food. Someone has to be making the money. So there was a thing that went around and I'm closer to God the less I have. The more I give up, the more God loves me. But you know what? The truth is, God loves you because of what Jesus gave up. You can't give up more than Jesus has already given up for you. And so that thinking, I'm so glad that that wave is gone. And then the pendulum kind of swung the other way to where it was godly. You only were godly if you were wealthy. And that caused such a division in the church uh, in America. Because if you're sitting there and you have this thing, the more godly I am, the more money I have, the, the people that are sitting there that are, that are in love with God and doing what God's called them to do that are not wealthy, what's wrong with me? Why am I, why can't I? And it was a huge problem in the church. And of course, if you were the one that had the wealth, it was easy to feel, feel prideful. And it became a thing of, 
I'm going to seek God because of how he will bless me. Rather than God, I'm yours. I'm your steward. You own everything. All that I am is yours. The next breath that I breathe comes from your hand. We are so arrogant when we think and we make plans and we, we forget that even our breath comes from God. And God wants to bless us, but it's not a sign of being righteous or not being righteous because our God is a God of abundance. There's a verse that I think is so incredible. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. One of the things that, that I personally do not want to do, and I think our pastors will agree, we are not up here to say, that's enough for your family. You've, you make how much money? That's enough. You know, what do you need more than that for? That's not up to us. We say, however God blesses you, amen, amen. And it's not for us to say, you know what? That, that's all you make. We need to pray in more. And maybe we do need to, but you'll have to come to us and ask us for that. It's not up to us to say what's enough or what's too much. If God has given you a excess, then God has a purpose for that excess. He has a purpose for it. He, he wants to use that funding for something that is his purpose. You must each decide in your heart. And if you're married, you and your spouse decide together how much to give. Please don't hear what we're not saying up here. We're, God initiated the tithe, so we make no apology for that. God initiated the offering, so we don't apologize for that. But abund, ab beyond that, generosity is what he tells you it should be, what he places in your heart. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And this is what I love. God will generously provide all you need. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I, I mm -mm. then take it to God. Bring it to your pastors and say, we need to pray through this because I really don't believe I have all that I need. And God's word says that he'll provide that. So please help me, pray with me. Let's see a breakthrough in this area. And there are reasons that families have connections to things that keep them in poverty. And we need to identify those and say, these are connecting you to poverty in your family. Let's get rid of this. Let's change this. Let's address this. Let's stop doing that. Let's start doing this. God loves a person. God will give generously. He'll provide all you need. Then you will what? Always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Isn't that honestly where we all wanna be? I mean, am I the only one that wants to have plenty for my family, for my grandchildren, for this church, and plenty left over to share with you, to share with my neighbor, to share with that person I went into at Publix or Aldi's, depending on where you shop. Isn't that where we all want to be? Have everything you need for your family, for their education for their future and plenty left over to share 
to share. That's, that's what I want right there. That's the verse I want to be real in my life. You, you really can't fake stewardship. You can fake a lot of things. You can fake your Bible reading. You can pretend like you have, oh, I had my devotions every day. Or, oh, I went and prayed with so-and-so. You can't fake stewardship because it's in your credit card statement. It's on your checkbook stub. Your credit card statement tells your life story. We all have a story. We all have a financial story. And that tells your story whether you want to believe it or not. We can look. I'm not going to. But you can look and see where your priorities were. And God says, that's how I know. That's, how, that's what I wanted for you. That's what you need. That's what he told to the rich one, young ruler. Look, it's okay that you have money, but it, 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 you are enslaved to it. It is your master. He doesn't want that for us. He wants our allegiance because he already owns it all. Would you stand with me, please? I know as follow, for those of us that are in the building today and we are followers of Christ, we do have a different value system. And we understand that when we give a cup of cold water to someone, as the Bible says, as an example, or when we take food to a widow, or we come and help someone babysit their children, anything that we do like that, and we're doing it because we love God and we love people, that is sending treasures ahead to heaven. Well, I'd like to see a few here. Well, I do too, and we will. But it's not just about here and now. And the older you get, the more you realize eternity is waiting. This is such a short time. And the Bible says not, not to store up treasures here. It doesn't say don't have them, but store up treasures in heaven also. The good works that we do because we love God, because we are a disciple, because he's blessed us and given us more so that we can share, amen? Let's send our treasures ahead and do what he's called us to do. We're gonna go ahead and pray and close out the service. And uh, I just want to thank God that um, when she was talking about what people would do to abandon their family, I thought about Jesus being tempted by the devil, basically saying, I will give you all these things if you abandon your family. If you abandon your dad's plan and you abandon all his kids. And he was like, not going to happen. And so I just recognize that. And he did not do it. And so we will not do it. So we're going to pray. And um, we're going to repent of greed. And um, if you're like me, greed, in my mind, looks like Scrooge McDuck swimming in his fortune. Like greed is wealthy people. But it's not. Uh, greed for me is dis, uh, a belief that I did this and I'm entitled to that. And gratitude fixes it. So we're going to repent of us, even if we have something, we look at the homeless person on the side of the road and we think, well, they should get a job. That is us putting our own connections of how things should be. And that is greed, at least in my life. So let's repent. Father, we repent of greed, which is us stating what should be going on financially, Father. It's our beliefs before your beliefs, Father. And we want to repent to the level that it brings about a change and it brings about a, a heart swelling in generosity and that we move in trust in you first and our logic and our budget and our expenses and how we think it should work out second. 
And I believe that this week, Father, you can put somebody or something in front of us that we can actually take a step of faith in our financial world and we are going to make a decision for somebody else in faith in you and they are going to turn around and ask, why? And we are going to get to share our story. So, Father, we repent of greed. We repent of our belief in money and we allow your belief to take its place right now, Father. We clean out a room in our heart We repent and we clean it and we ask your Holy Spirit to take up root in what your beliefs are. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys. We'll see you in small group. Love you.